Welcome to the 938 podcast. We're glad that you're joining us today. I hope that you've uh, checked out on our YouTube channel under BBFI Missions for previous episodes. We've been recording these every week. And uh, you can find out information about the mission office. You can find out information about the BBFI. You can find out information about missions worldwide. And, uh, and also, of course, our Project 938, which is very important as we're trying to uh, get people in our churches uh, here in the United States and all around the world to pray for more laborers. And I believe that's a very important thing that we should do. In fact, in Matthew 938, that's what Jesus uh, requested, and that we pray to the Lord of the harvest for more laborers. Now today, we have a special guest with us today. We have uh, Craig Lingo. He's been a missionary in Colombia, South America. And uh, Craig, you and Fran have been missionaries uh, with the BBFI, BBFI for 50 years and uh, on the field uh, for 48 years. So welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about uh, when you and Fran first went to Colombia many, many years ago. Well, we were the uh, first missionaries from the Baptist Bible Fellowship to go. Um, we went to a city of 2.7 million people. Uh, it was a, the, the capital city, Bogota. It's right in the center of the country. It's uh, in the mountains. We are 8,000 feet up in the air. So uh, wow. in spite of the fact that we're in a tropical country, we have a very mild spring-like climate all year round. Wow, that must be nice. So that's nice. <laughs> but the city's grown. Uh, the city, the Bogota proper, is well over 8 million people now. Uh, you include everything else around it, and it's around 11 million people. Wow. So uh, that's been right at 200,000 people a year mm. that are, have moved into Bogota, 200,000. So, so every year the task gets bigger and bigger, doesn't yeah. it, to reach them? I uh, once had a pastor write and say, we, uh, we're going to drop your support, he said, because we don't see that you have an exit plan. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, why should I ever have an exit plan when I have uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> when I have two hundred thousand people coming into this yes. city every year? Yes. So. Wow. Wow. Now you but, and Fran went without children, right? Your kids mm -hmm. were they born there? They were born there, all mm -hmm. four of them. Mm -hmm. We have two, three boys, and then we had a daughter who died mm -hmm. uh, three three days old when she wow. passed away. Yeah, and she's buried there. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, so really, Colombia is like home to you. Right. If you yeah. think about it, I mean, you, we consider the United States as our home, but as a missionary, <laughs> you know, that's kind of a home away from home, really. Yeah. Well, you know, I would really be very happy if the Lord allowed me to die there mm -hmm. and be buried there. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't have anything really to come back to here in the States that much. And that's one of the things that happens to a missionary. You go to the field, you spend your life on the field, and little by little you lose even your contacts and your friends and everybody yes. in your in your home country. Mm -hmm. So little by little we're we're by Facebook and the other social media we're we're saying goodbye to a lot of a lot of friends, yes. you know. Yes. So yeah. Now, uh, you all, have, having been there that long, there's been a lot of 
ups and downs, I would say, in that country of Colombia. Uh, there's, it's, there was pretty scary times for a while there. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, I don't think that Colombia has, in the uh, 20th century, I don't think Colombia had any time that was not dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a period of violence even before I went there, and it was a conflict between the liberals and the conservatives. And the conservatives obviously were the Catholic Church, that's very interesting. So we were considered liberals there. Okay. And all evangelicals are considered liberals. And okay. so if you were an evangelical, you were automatically pegged as a liberal, no matter whether you were political or not. Wow. So, uh, and there was a lot of persecution. Churches burned, uh, people who died. There's hundreds and hundreds of stories of grown ki- people who were kids at that time that their parents would take them out to the plantation, the, the banana plantation, to hide them mm. every night, and they'd sleep there because there were threats that, that the the people in the in the town were going to come and, yeah. and burn their home down. Mm. So that was happening even before we we got to Colombia. Okay. Um, they, um, in fact, when I when I began to read up on Colombia and feel a burden for Colombia, here in college I had friends, and they said, well, you have a persecution complex. You just want to go to some place where it's dangerous. Right. And uh, so uh, when we got there, there had just, they had just signed an agreement about seven or eight years prior to that to where the conflict was over. Mm-hmm. And um, hmm. we had a, some relatively good times there for a couple of years and then things started started building up again mm-hmm. our first experience with with violence was a car bomb the first car bomb they'd ever known mm-hmm. of in latin america at least and i think we probably are the ones that set the standard for the car bombs that are used everywhere now it went off about two blocks away from our church oh wow so hmm. We went to lunch, and we came back. The neighbors were cleaning up the windows, mm. the, the glass. Yeah. Interestingly enough, our church did not, not a single glass was broken. That's, <laughs> so that's amazing. Wow. So, uh, Praise the Lord for that. And we were, at that time, I was 26 years old. Fran okay. was 26. Wow. So, Yeah, how did, how did that impact you? I mean that experience did it uh, give you a stro- stronger resolve or did it give you any doubts of being there um you know it's been so long ago i can hardly remember mm-hmm. the emotions and what i felt uh, i have to attribute a lot of it to fran fran although she says she's fearful she's very stubborn and she <laughs> <laughs> she's brave and yes. so yes. she she stuck it out and uh we stuck it out together, and um, I always, I always had this motto: if God does not open a door for you to walk through, you'd better not leave the place He's called you to. Yes, yes. And it just seemed like there was nothing that ever was presented that made any sense in in contrast with the calling that God gave us yes. way back. Mm-hmm. in our little apartment here at BBC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I find that true with um, a lot of missionaries will tell me, 
because I've, I've met others who've gone through difficult times and I said, well, how did you stay there? And they said, it was God's call yeah. on our lives that we that yeah. helped us to stay. About a, two terms through it, we came on, home on furlough and I was talking to my brother-in-law about the violence and he said, well, why are you there? And I just thought for a minute and I said, well, God did not call me to good people. Mm-hmm. He called me to sinners. Yes. And it really doesn't matter where you go in the world. There's going to be death. There's going to be violence. There's going to be opposition. There's a certain amount of risk that you're taking when you do it. And you don't just get up and leave whenever those things happen. Um, Then there was a time in Colombia when the threat got bigger. We have, after, we had some persecution that was political and then after the political persecution then came the drug cartels Mm. and right behind the drug cartels came the guerrillas who took over the cartel business and Mm. it is basically it's all the drugs have have changed yes the social and economic and 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 really the fiber of colombia and it's still that way Mm. um and so we've been through lots and lots of difficult times. There was a time when the, the drug lord Pablo Escobar was threatening to kill all the missionaries for everybody that was extradited to the U.S. Well, not the missionaries, Americans. Mm-hmm. He would kill them. Mm-hmm. And so we had a time when there were several, there was an exodus of missionaries mm-hmm. from Colombia. And, uh, in fact, Dr. Boonster called me at that time. He was a missions director, and he said, are you all right? And I said, Brother Boonster, I can't, I'm not going through anything that my people are not going through, mm-hmm. and there's no direct threat on my life. So I can't, uh, can't legitimately say I need to leave mm-hmm. this time. Mm-hmm. At that time, we were seeing things, our kids were seeing bodies dumped out, cars next to their school and things like that and so particularly my oldest one Adam he would say dad we've got to leave we've got to leave and I would just sit down with him and say I don't see why mm-hmm. we're safe mm-hmm. and the Lord's going to take care of us yes. and so we stayed through those times yeah. and he did take care of you he did take care of us and um, one of the things that I've always thought of with relationship to that, is I cannot teach my people to be brave, to be faithful, mm-hmm. and then at the first instance of danger, pack up and leave. Yes, Your message that you're giving with your life neutralizes whatever mm-hmm. you're trying to teach them. Right. And there are a lot of people that, that to this day will say, when everything was so bad, you never left. Mm-hmm. You never left. And well, uh, you were teaching them to live by faith. Mm-hmm. And then if you had left quickly, they would have thought, well, that's yeah. not a lot of faith there. Uh-huh. And over the years, we, we had so many demonstrations of God's protection. Mm-hmm. We had a camp. And when we bought the camp, it was in a very peaceful area. And it was a very peaceful area because back in the middle 50s, uh, World Evangelism Crusade out of England had moved into that area and they had preached the gospel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was had been down there and uh, 
some of the old people from the Communist Party would say it was were the Christians that wiped us out. Mm. They wiped us out. Okay. But shortly after we got there, the uh, Christians basically wanted to be a political party, and they uh, they lost their they lost their power. Mm. Yeah, they uh, they lost their their witness. Yeah. And so that's when the communists began to take over again. At that time, we had a, a terrible, terrible drought in the area. It was caused by the phenomena of the Nino out in the Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rivers dried up. Everything dried up. And the people were needing water. And we had a well that my dad had gone down there to help build. He was a missionary in Chile for years and had had a camp. And so when we bought the camp, first thing I said, his dad, come down and check it out. And he got there and he said, well, you're going to need water. You don't have water. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think about water when nice. I bought a camp. <laughs> <laughs> so he financed it and came down and found water for us. And uh, uh, we found it at about eight, nine meters, mm-hmm. abundant water. Okay. And uh, so we had water. When the drought came, there were a few other wells in the area, but they would sell their water. Hmm. And we had trucks lined up for 24 hours a day, 24-7 during that, uh, that drought, pumping, and we were pumping water to them into their, their trucks. Wow. Hmm. And they would take it off to the neighborhoods. Sure. And some of those neighborhoods were, had been started by squatters by the communist movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly there was one called... The Allende Pueblo, town of uh, the Barrio of Allende, mm-hmm. in honor of the communist president in Chile. And of course, water was for everybody. And they would come and they'd say, "How much do we owe you?" And I'd say, "No, water is a right. Mm-hmm. I cannot, I cannot, in good conscience, sell it." Mm-hmm. And besides that, I have a very, very concrete promise by God that I can't give you a, a glass of water in Jesus' name without receiving a reward for it. So I, I'm storing up a lot of treasures in heaven right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So we didn't, we didn't sell the water. Mm-hmm. We gave it to him. Well, there came a time later on when it got so dangerous, there were pastors that were kidnapped, and mm-hmm. some of them were killed. And during all that time, it was like we just had this protection around us. Mm-hmm. Nothing would happen to us. Yeah. Nothing would happen to us. And we couldn't understand it. But during all that time, there were, was no time when I felt like we needed to stop having our camps. And there was no reason for us not to do them. And so we kept doing it. And years later, I found out that the, the main guerrilla leader had declared our camp a safe zone. Wow. Mm. Because we had given them water. Yes. Wow. And uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's just amazing to see how God works mm. without us even knowing. Yeah. Protecting. Later on, we had the paramilitaries that came in. The, the, you have them, the the guerrillas were communists, and the paramilitaries were were backed at least by the by the government, 
and they came in for social cleansing. Mm. And they showed up at our camp one night telling us that they were going to to make their headquarters our camp. They were just moving into the area to clean it up. And the pastor we had there um, said, well, let me, let me uh, think about it. Mm-hmm. And the next day he came in, he said, look, he says, you've got to leave. We have made it a policy of not being involved with the guerrillas. We're not going to be involved with you. We've not been involved with the government. Government has asked us to back them politically, and we refuse to. So we have uh, we have pretty much established a neutral zone here, and we're not going to back you. So you've got to leave. And the guerrilla leader, and he th- he could have been killed on the spot for mm-hmm. doing that. Sure. And his wife raped, and his children, yes. his son taken for the to the paramilitaries. Um, he said, "Okay, we'll leave in three days." Wow. And they left. So, you see, somehow or other in the midst of all of that danger, mm-hmm. God's there. Yes. Yes. And our church saw that. Mm-hmm. And I saw that. Sure. And that's one of the reasons that we have been able, we've been able to draw strength and faith what God has done in the past mm-hmm. to just say we're going to stick it out we can do this we Amen. can do this we can do this Amen. and uh, so we did it yeah and we're coming up on 50 years now wow. <laughs> that is amazing uh, in fact I think it'd be good if you sat down and put all your stories into a book we <laughs> I would read it for sure I'm sure many <laughs> others would well, I read your dad's book that you wrote mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so well, I, yours could be Real exciting, and and the thing is, it's a testimony of God. Yeah, well, it's, that's that's the man. Yes, that's he's well, not the man. He's well, the God man. Yes, Jesus. The God. He's what was with us. So right. He's yeah. the one that needs to receive the glory yes. for all of it. It's yeah, and uh, yeah. so tell me about your ministry now. How is that going? Well, mm, <laughs> I've got to. We're receiving a re- award for for fifty years, and I've got to write this out. Yes, <laughs> I, yes. I haven't been able to figure it out yet. Uh, Next month, we are giving you a fifty-year globe mm-hmm. for your fifty years as missionaries. Yeah. So, we've <laughs> asked you to give kind of a biography. So, yeah. it's it's hard to put uh, fifty years in just five minutes, isn't it? Well, it's not only that, but I think. One of the things I've I've learned and I've declared many times is that God does more in you than he does through you. Mm. Yeah. So as he works in you, things just happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm absolutely persuaded that when we get to heaven, we're gonna be very, very surprised at what was wood, hay and stubble and right. what was silver yes. and precious stones and gold. Um in fact, when Jesus is talking about the sheep and the and the goats, and he says, "In in as much as you did it to these, one of mine, you mm-hmm. did it to me." Mm-hmm. The question that the believers are going to ask him is, "When when did I do this? Yes. When did I do this?" Mm-hmm. And so, really, I think living life is what does ministry. Yeah. 
and I didn't realize that at first. I thought programs were going to do it programs. Mm-hmm. And so we started a Bible college. And we started our Bible college, and we wanted to have a Bible college that was a daytime Bible college, like all the other Bible colleges. And so we uh, announced that we were going to provide work for the students and isolate up. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. all of these young people are unemployed, right. and they say, yeah. I, I feel suddenly called yes, to yes. this. So <laughs> we, uh, that was a flop, you know. Mm-hmm. It really was because... Uh, we ended up having a lot of, lot of failure, mm-hmm. and dropouts and things like that. And I mean, we had a lot of young people. We had, they they said they wanted to serve the Lord, but it's very difficult when you're mixing work and mm-hmm. service for the Lord, and you're getting paid for it and all the rest. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we st- we decided at one time, okay, the Bible College is not producing what we're wanting to produce. And I think I think it's not a bad thing for a person to be able to honestly evaluate how he's doing something mm-hmm. and make the tough decisions. Uh, sure, it's. I mean, what if I had kept on with that program for fifty years? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be very different now. So we eventually stopped the Bible college and uh, decided we were going to go to night college. But at the time, our uh, our focus was adults. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And over the years, I've discovered that you say, okay, I want the leader. So what kind of leader do you want? And the outstanding people in your church at any given moment are going to be the leaders that were formed within the world and that many times have a value system that is far different than what God is looking for. And uh, so we started with those. I started discipling them, and then some of them said, we want to go to Bible school, and we said, okay, so we're going to have a night Bible school now. You're going to work during the day. We're going to teach you at night. And so we uh, we started that, and it's not that there weren't aren't some pastors that came from that, mm-hmm. but somehow or other, their lives, their projection for ministry, uh, did not have the heart that you would like to see. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to take care of a family. They had. To, raise their kids. They had kids that had severe problems at times. In fact, some of them were had even uh, had another wife, you know, mm-hmm. and things like this. And so there's a lot of complication with all of that. And uh, so um, it, it really was not producing the kind of mm-hmm. pastor that we were looking for. Mm-hmm. So back in 1990 is when we started the camp. And I basically said, Lord, if you will give me the years, I will devote my life to young people. Mm-hmm. I will. I will raise up the next generation. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did it prim- for one reason. I wanted to have something that would last, something that would be sure. there when, I li- when I'm gone. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
But secondly, we did it because uh, it just made a lot of sense that if you get a young person that doesn't have all of these problems in his life and that is not trying to balance family and everything else, but is can devote himself fully, yeah. it, you can do something great in his life. Mm-hmm. So we did that. We, and it was basically going back to the concept of the other Bible college, but without the money. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we started, they would just work alongside me mm-hmm. on Hawk on weekends and on their holidays and summers with the camp. They'd work at camp a lot, but they did not, uh, they were, they did not have a lot of money, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but they had a whole life ahead of yeah, them. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. and, um, it's Fran has an illustration she uses. She takes two pencils. One is used and the other one is not used. And she says, which is most valuable? Mm. And uh, actually, the the one that doesn't even have a point on it yet is the most valuable. Mm-hmm. You get to sharpen it the way you want it to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's what we ended up doing. And you were there. Yes. And we had, you got to see some of it. I did. The guys. Yes. You venture. Great time visiting with the people in the church there. Mm-hmm. And seeing your original camp and mm-hmm. traveling around a little bit, seeing mm-hmm. several churches. Yeah. And uh, I remember you telling the group of young men that we had together that day, telling, because God's going to do some amazing things. He's putting together mm-hmm. an amazing team. Well, they were just, yes. they were just, Teenagers yeah, still. They were pretty young. You know, and I, they were despised even by their own, <laughs> their own families. I remember, I remember my secretary, her son, was one of those young people that said he, he showed up at church at age 14. Mm. Mm-hmm. And eventually he tried college and he decided, I don't want college. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm, I don't want to be drawn by the world. Yeah. that way so he said i want to go into ministry so we said okay come on we'll teach it and it was night school and then after they had he had been in night school for a couple of years and had proven himself then we started what we call an apprentice program mm-hmm. and that's when the church would decide who they're going to put on mm-hmm. not not craig lingo mm-hmm. The church, mm-hmm. the leaders in the church would decide who they're going to put on, and the church would pay half of their salary. Mm. And I would raise funds to pay for the rest of it. Right. And it was on a prorated basis. For the next two years while they were finishing college, I would give less, mm-hmm. and the church would increase mm-hmm. to the point to where when they finished college, they had a ready-made job. Mm. Yes. And the finances for it. Yeah. And they had already been in ministry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the program we use to this day, our apprenticeship program. Mm. And we've started some other programs like we have. Now we have a discipleship training school, which is is, uh, uh, about a four-month program where they live on campus at camp. 
They do ministry at camp. And we teach them the basics of Christian life. Mm. And a lot of them are kids that have just, we have 19 of them right now, and I think the average age is 18. Wow. Wow. And, uh, and mm. a lot of those kids will come out and they'll say, okay, I, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we have, a, we have kids lined up for yes. waiting for the apprenticeship program anymore. Yeah. That's great. And wow. uh, so a lot of potential. Oh, for years to go, right? Until well, the that's the out. idea. Exactly. That's the idea, the idea. And you know, you know what pushed me to this? There came a time when all the missionaries had gone. Yeah. And we were basically by ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have anybody else to draw from. Mm-hmm. And let's do this together. Yeah. So I had to focus on, on the nationals. Sure, that's the reason I, I tell you, I say. Really, God does more in you than He does mm-hmm. through you. But the fruit that He leaves, uh, just keeps going on. Right. Well, and because of that, you have a great bond with those people there. I've oh, seen yeah. it, and it's it's just they're just like family. And so close. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a while, a few years since I've been there, but at that time, even I could see it very strongly. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I was just amazed. I'm excited. To, you all, you're going to get to go back here pretty soon, yeah. hopefully, yeah. if the COVID thing doesn't shut down Columbia for a while on <laughs> yeah. their third wave. But uh, um, we're praying that you can get back and mm-hmm. get with the people there. Now, you've had uh, some health issues here recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, share a little bit about that and how God's worked in that way as well. Well, um, you know, you always expect everybody else to have cancer Mm -hmm. or heart disease. Mm -hmm. My cancer showed up about two years ago Mm -hmm. and, uh, I didn't think it was going to be very serious, but it really is. It's serious. It's follicular lymphoma and, uh, it's the type of cancer that does not you never really get over it. Yes. You know, you can, because it's a blood cancer, and it comes right from the marrow. Mm -hmm. And so um, it just irrigates into your body. Mm -hmm. Um, Now they're coming up with some new treatments that are amazing that looks like they can put it in remission and -hmm. and that it will stay there. But uh, so I had one treatment, and supposedly the cancer was gone and we went back to Colombia, and then we came back on a humanitarian flight because of COVID in August for another checkup. And in September in my checkup, the, uh, the cancer had come back. Mm-hmm. And so I've been in chemo now er- ever since trying, thinking I was preparing to, to have a, a stem cell transplant, which is one of the amazing things that they've developed over th- the last two decades but um i had to get rid of all the cancer that was there to be able to do it so um they put me into a very very heavy treatment it was i described the chemo as it's like going into the boxing ring and you get knocked down in the first 10 seconds Mm. and so you get up you're droggy. You're just you're just hanging on. Yeah. 
but you make it to the end of the round and you get your second win. Mm-hmm. And you just get you get your second win <laughs> and it's time for the next yes. round. And I had four of those rounds. Mm. And uh, it really did bring me down. Yes. But uh, they, uh, they did a test. They were trying to get rid of the cancer so they could do the stem cell. They did a test and the cancer showed up active still in an old area. And so I had written my churches. I had used my social media venue. I had, and in fact, you were writing and saying that you were praying for us. The missions office was praying for us. And my prayer was that the cancer would be gone. But when the test came back, supposedly there was some, still some active cancer in an old uh, tumor. But I started looking at it with the doctor. We started looking at it. And there had been no variation in that tumor for the last three tests, neither in in activity nor in size. Mm -hmm. And so the doctor said, I think we need to do a deep biopsy on this. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first of April, they did the biopsy, and it came back that there's no malignancy and there's no sign of carcinoma or, or cancerous tissue. So right now, after all that prayer, one of the things I, I, I went back in history and drew the, the phrase of, of William Carey that mm-hmm. he would go down into the pit, but the churches were supposed to hold the rope. Yes. And I wrote that to my churches and to my, my friends, and everybody would write back, I'm holding the rope. I'm Amen. holding the rope. Amen. And the cancer's gone. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. Amen. That's yeah. wonderful. And now you get to go back? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And since it's follicular lymphoma, I'm going to have to have treatment or, or tests mm-hmm. regularly. So I'll be coming back every three months for tests. Right. Right. I'm praying. I'm praying that every time it's, uh, I have a test, it's just a statement to the power of God Amen. that he can and remove it yes. to where it never comes back. Yes. Amen. And he can. So, and he can. He can. So That's what we'll be praying for, yeah. for sure. And so I'll keep people holding the rope. <laughs> we'll do it. Stop. We'll keep holding so, those for you. Yeah. So we're you we're so going back great. on the 25th of, Good. of uh, May, the Lord willing. Good. If COVID will let yes. us. Yes. Columbia's in its third wave. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a, a new camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, provided by the Rawlings Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing. It changed our our perspective. The Rawlings Foundation, basically what they do is they take a camp and they want it to be an evangelistic camp. Mm-hmm. So to be an evangelistic camp, what you have to have is kids. Yeah. And you have to have unsaved kids. Mm-hmm. All of our camps have been Christian camps and not been camps for lost people. I mean, you get a few unsaved kids there, sure. mm-hmm. but they have to submit to your rules and your style and all of this. Mm-hmm. But an unsaved camp is absolutely different. Yeah. An unsaved camp, we will have gang members there. We will have, uh, we can have two rival gangs even mm-hmm. since we, we target schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have lesbians, you have 
you have gay men, mm-hmm. you know, you have everything, drug use in abundance. And, mm-hmm. and so it really took us a time to, of praying and fasting to say, okay, so what does a ministry, a, 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 an evangelistic camp look like? Mm-hmm. And basically, we, we discovered that one of our big issues, and, and this is a big issue here in the U.S., and I think... I think it's one of the reasons that a church begins to use its, lose its vigor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big issues is that we, we set up a lighthouse, <laughs> and, and that's an illustration that we use. Mm-hmm. You know, We tell everybody, come to the lighthouse, come to the lighthouse, come to the lighthouse. But then our lighthouse doesn't become too, in, too inviting to the lost people. Right. There are so many times that our lighthouses. Uh, well, let me just give you an illustration, and I'm talking too much, probably. You're fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, we have our church, our first church was right in front of a park. You saw it. Mm-hmm. Our church building. Um, so we had ushers, we called them back then. And what it was, it was a man and a woman that would stand at the door. We had wanted a man and a woman so that it'd be inviting to both mm-hmm. men and women. And we would dress them in their best. And we had a park right across the street from us where there were all kinds of young people and older people even that would go to that park in their sweats mm-hmm. every Sunday morning to, to get their exercise. Mm-hmm. And they would walk by our church and our ushers that would stand at the door with the bulletin and all of that, instead of being dressed in such a way that they would be inviting to somebody in tennis shoes and sweats, mm-hmm. they were saying, this is not for you. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And we do that a lot, just unconsciously. We do it. Sure. So one of the things that we began to understand is that if our church was going to reach Bogota, we had to look like Bogota. Mm-hmm. We couldn't. There's no way we were going to reach Bogota if we were so radically different in the basic things, your dress and this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And I know that it's become a style for this to happen. But sometimes I'm not too sure that we understand the, the reasoning behind it. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes, well, this is working for somebody else, so we're right. going to do it type thing. But, uh, and then the other thing that we just needed to understand is that the gospel's for everybody. Mm-hmm. And that the power of the gospel is so powerful. Yes. That it can transform a life. Yes. Any life. And, uh, you know, even with the basic social issues that we deal with in our society today, mm-hmm. I'm afraid the church has opted for legislation, <laughs> mm-hmm. for attacking, for doing an awful lot of other things. And I think 
that we've forgotten that the only solution for the the situation of mankind is the power of, is the gospel, which is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes. Yes. Yep. You're right. And uh, mm-hmm. Romans chapter one, the issue there is not homosexuality. Mm-hmm. I know we use that as a passage to plant our flag and say, okay, this is what the gospel, the Bible says about this. Mm-hmm. No, the subject there is the power of the gospel. Yes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Mm-hmm. And then he enumerates all of these people to whom yes. the power of the gospel can reach. Mm-hmm. And he puts the homosexuals right there in the middle of it. Yeah. And, uh, we kind of put that aside mm-hmm. and say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to legislate this. Mm-hmm. If we can just legislate things to where we can keep them marginalized, we'll be all right. Mm-hmm. And they need the gospel. Yeah. They need the gospel more than anybody. We had to deal with this, and every church is having to deal with it, how they're going to handle homosexual mm-hmm. things. And so a while back, we, we basically established this. First of all, we're never going to give up on you. Mm-hmm. We're not going to isolate you because we don't want, we don't think you're savable. Mm-hmm. We will not give up on you. Secondly, we will never give in because we don't give in on any sin. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to expect a man who's adulterous to continue being adulterous simply because it's hard to leave the other, yeah. other woman. Mm-hmm. Oh. So that's our motto: never give up mm-hmm. and never give in. Mm-hmm. And we look at a person that's lost, very lost, and we say, I've got a message for you. Mm-hmm. Amen. And, uh, well, I've been around you here in the States and in Colombia, and you're a missionary kid, mm-hmm. like I am. I mm-hmm. forgot to say that even at the beginning. Yeah. Your parents were missionaries, some of our first missionaries mm-hmm. back in the... 50s. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've been around you and Fran, and I've just seen the love of God in your lives as you've gone to reach people um, there in Colombia. You love them, you care for them, and it's evident here you want them to hear the gospel and to accept Jesus Christ, no matter who they are and mm-hmm. uh, no matter what lifestyle they're in. Yeah. That's, that's the idea. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that very much in you and the years that you've given. In addition, I've talked to missionaries, and, you know, we can talk about successful ministries, what that looks like or not, but missionaries will tell, I'll ask them, how, where have you seen success come into your ministry or, you know, at least it move forward for the Lord? How, what, what have you done? And every one of them have told me longevity. Mm. You got to stay there. You got to be there. You got to work with them. You got to live before them. You got to be the lifestyle before them. And that's what you have done, you and Fran. And I want to thank you for that. Uh, you're a great testimony to me and to many others. And we appreciate you very much and what, what you've done there in Colombia and continuing to do there. Mm-hmm. And I hope to be able to come see you again down there, too. I hope so, too. Yes. There's a lot so. more to see than when I was there last time. Yeah. And so we've had a great time today with uh, Craig, and I hope you've enjoyed uh, this podcast and uh, check out some of the others that we're 
uh, going to be doing in the next coming weeks with other missionaries and other subjects. And at the same time, subscribe to this so that you'll get information about uh, upcoming ones uh, on a daily basis or continually, uh, continual basis. And uh, by the way, just remember Project 938 after Matthew 938 to pray for more laborers. We need more laborers like the Lingos all around the world. Everywhere I go, missionaries tell me we need more help. So would you pray? Because that's what Jesus said. So uh, have a great week and I look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you.